So for our new people, our first timers, welcome. My name is Jerry Kazaya. My wife and I have an organization called Business Builders, among other things, among other companies. And uh, we set this up so that basically it's a way that we can share some of our knowledge, some of my knowledge, 42 years of business, 42 years of owning multiple companies, having uh, multi-million dollar payrolls, hundreds of employees, uh, all the stuff that goes along with that, uh, running seven companies simultaneously while still continuing to travel the world. Uh, so what we do here is usually in the mornings, I'll start off with a conversation. Like today, we may talk about how interest rates are affecting the world um, or something else. If someone gives me an idea, I'll just run with it. I'm, I'm really pretty good with that. Uh, and then at usually somewhere between quarter of and eight o'clock, we'll have everyone do their, their commercials. You get your elevator pitch. And if you're open to it, we can even help you uh, to revise or come up with an elevator pitch that seems to work and help everybody out. So interest rates, is anybody's business being affected by interest rates? Whose? Two of you only? Only two. I think that's fascinating. So in your case, in the, the case of homes, the monthly payment for a home has gone up 50% or more in the last nine months. That's how much the mortgage rates have affected home buying business. This is, it is such an issue. There are parts of the country because everybody knows that new home construction is off the charts, right? Does everybody know that? Okay, new home construction is off the charts. A price of a two by four is like $12, where they used to be $1.50. Uh, the, the supply chain disruptions, people are getting out. They go, you know, I've been locked up in my house for two years. I hate my house. I want something bigger, something better, something nicer, etc. New home construction is off the charts. They're building 10,000 new homes in Princeton right now as we speak. And what the heck is Princeton? I mean, Princeton, they have like 1,100 people that live in Princeton, Texas. They got 10,000 new homes being constructed as we speak. It's fascinating. We know because we ride motorcycles all up in that part of the world on the weekends. And so we've been watching the, the new house seeds get planted and they just start springing up out of the ground. And the roads that are being, it's amazing, yeah. okay? Oh, but now with the interest rates, there are parts of the country where the new home contracts are being canceled at a rate of 30%. 30%. Now, let me tell you, we have a, one of our coaching clients is a hard money lender. So he, he lends people like you that want to flip homes, he lends them money. In the last conversation we've had, he's had a number of new home 
contractors, the builders are reaching out to him saying, the bank pulled my loans. I can't get the money to complete the houses. What is that trickle down going to affect in the rest of the economy? This is, so think about the 30% of people that had a new home under contract. They lost their earnest money. They lost every dollar they, they put down. If they pull out, yeah. 30% of the contracts are being pulled out right now today. In Dallas, it's not 30%, but it is 21%. 21% here in Dallas. Dallas is the untouchable. In the last recession, Dallas was untouchable. In Las Vegas, Las Vegas, Nevada, some homes fell 75% in value. Almost overnight, ours went down 2%. Okay, it was only 2% that we had that failure. So the whole purpose of bringing this up is, thank you for mentioning it. How do you take your business and insulate it so you are not affected regardless of the interest rates, you're not affected regardless of the cancellation on new homes, you don't care. This is, this is just a different way of thinking than you've probably ever thought of before regarding your business. How do you grow your business when the nation is in a, well, they changed the, the definition. It's, is it a recession or is it not? I, we don't know. We've had negative growth for two complete quarters, but they've now changed it and said, yeah, it's not really a recession. We have been hurting for a long time. We have been hurting with, with I mean, $5 gasoline prices. Uh, that no one has been able to enjoy that. That I'm the lowest in the nation here in Texas. Yes. Well, I won't say no one. BP had the, their, their, their net income triple last quarter, tripled last quarter, highest number of profit they've ever had. Shell Corporation, same similar numbers, Exxon Corporation, their profits are going through the roof. Uh, you know, hey, look, it's a capitalistic world. God bless them. Uh, you know, they're doing what they need to do for whatever reason. I'm not sure how all that will pan out. I just know what's happening, right? So we've all been hurting. We've all been going through some stuff. And so how do you take your business and make it unhurtable? How do you take your business and thrive? Get it to thrive in times like this. I, I will tell you straight up, the auto repair business, we're up 45% over last year. We're up 45% over last year. We were doing good numbers last year. 45%. Life is good. No, life is better. Life's always good. Life is what you make of it, right? So how do you thrive when the world is in turmoil? I think you have to have a plan, and also you have to have a business in which people are going to meet no matter what. I mean, my business and the restoration 
appeal is considered session proof, if you will, mm -hmm. just because if, the, if you have a, a disaster on your property, you've got to get it fixed. Um, no amount of interest rates going up or whatever is going to stop mm -hmm. that kind of an issue. I mean, yeah, when you have when you have a home disaster, you don't really care what it costs for a two by four. You don't really care what a gallon of gas costs. I want my home fixed. The only issue right? you have now is like yesterday, I was um, got in a list of people that called who we had helped do some work and to the next phase of doing the repair work. And one person has a deductible of over $11,000. So that is one thing that is starting to happen um, with insurance is your deductibles. Some companies are no longer even allowing 1%. They are saying 2%. Geico just announced and laid off all of their employees in, in California and it closed all of their doors in California. Um, you'll still get phone support if you have a Geico policy out there. But, um, yeah, it is a lot of insurance companies are free. You know, like JB says, you know, when you're, uh, your home gets damaged, you know, you need it restored and all that mm -hmm. stuff from fire, flood, you know, whatever you have. But they're going to get somebody, but who are they going to go to? And I think my own personal opinion is the, uh, the, the word integrity is practicing integrity, doing what you say, you know, um, saying what you do, do what you say. It's like the ISO 9000. I did that with uh, steel companies up there in Indiana. We got approved through ISO, but we had to say what we did, did what we said, and, you know, do it in the time frame that, uh, that they say to do it or that you said you were going to do it. And I think that has a lot to do with uh, them people coming back and referring you as well, integrity. So agreed. And the first thing you said, JB, is spot on. You have to have a plan, right? What's your plan? What's your plan? Where do you plan to be in five years? What do you plan on driving? What, where do you plan on living? Who do you plan to be with? If you don't plan, you'll end up somewhere. You'll end up driving something. You might be living somewhere that you hate. If you don't plan, you must have a plan. Unfortunately, what most struggling business owners do is they reach out to other struggling business owners, and they try to come up with a plan. But their plan is based on struggle. So they end up struggling more. If you're going to have a plan, let's find a plan that works. Find somebody that's successfully doing what you want to do and copy them. And chances are you will be successful as well. But it's all about having a plan. And how did that come up with interest rates? They didn't have a plan B. If you don't have a plan B and plan A goes sour, you can be in a world of hurt. Imagine 
these companies, there's, there's one company that's building at um, Texas 75 and uh, New Hope Road. Their housing subdivision is 3,000 homes. Wow. 3,000 homes in this one subdivision that six months ago was farmland. Imagine the bank cut their financing. And they have 3,000 homes in some form of fashion of construction right now. And the bank said, this drawer is now closed. Wow. You have no more money. I will guarantee you that's going to be problematic for a whole bunch of people. Even if as the consumer, let's say you're buying the house and you say, I don't care what my payment is. I planned on it being more because we knew interest rate or I got my, my term is locked in, right? Cause you can buy a lock on, on financing, right? I'm good. So your contract, you want it to go forward and the builder says, I can't get the money to finish your house. That's fascinating problem, isn't it? Again, always have a plan and always have a backup plan. The first realtor that sold me my first house, I said, that is going to be how much? I can't afford that. You'll grow into it. Yeah. You'll be able to, don't worry. You'll be able to, you'll, it'll be tight for the first five years. Then it'll, you'll be fine. That's how they sold. In 2007, they were doing 120% financing. So if you found a home for 100,000, they would loan you $120,000 to buy the home with no money out of your pocket. You could buy a house with zero money. Why did we have defaults? They, they had, there's dead people that had higher credit ratings than what they were putting people in houses at 120% financing with. Yeah. Like, I know, I personally know someone that couldn't finance their way out of a paper bag, ended up buying a half a million dollar house. They lived in it for about nine months too. <laughs> they had the high life for not, nine months. It's just, to me, it's a, so Misty, to your point, common sense, Sorry, folks. Common sense is really a superpower today. It ain't common. And, and unfortunately, the more educated you are, it appears to me the less common sense you actually have. I have a very dear friend of mine, smartest human being I've ever met in my life. Absolutely the smartest. Number one in his medical class. He was so good that when he became a, a resident, he became chief resident at MD Anderson in Houston and was Michael DeBakey's protege. Michael DeBakey, in case you don't know, he was the, the premier heart surgeon on the planet, okay? And this young man became his protege. He studied directly with and did surgeries next to DeBakey. I went to their house and his mom said, would you please put the bread in the oven? I'd like it warm for dinner. 
And about 10 minutes later, I'm like, what the hell is, what's melting? He forgot to take it. He didn't think to take it out of the plastic bag that the bread was wrapped in. So the bread, the plastic, it made a hell of a mess in the oven. His brain didn't work that way. Like seriously. So to restate your question, I'm going to say Nasser has asked, going back to the question of a plan B, the things that affect your business, how do you come up with a plan B? And that answer is every business is different in that regard. You will have a different plan B than I do and everyone else in this room. The easiest way that I have a plan B is I keep in contact with all of my clients on a regular basis. I send, first of all, I know who my clients are. Like, and what I mean by that is, I'm not talking about the guy that comes in once a year for a $25 service on a, a state inspection. That's not my client. That's a customer, okay? There's a huge difference between client and customer. Okay. Huge. My clients won't let anyone else even check the oil in their car. My advocates won't let anybody else even look at the color of their car, right? What's the difference between a customer, a client, and an advocate? A client you see once or once a year, and they spend very little money with you. A, a client is someone that we have the care, custody, and control of their vehicle. We take care of them. They come in on an average of five times a year. And they also refer people to us, okay? And they spend a higher grade of money than a customer will. An advocate will come in substantially more, eight to 10 times a year, and they'll send us three times as many customers, and they'll spend way more money every time, right? So you, you should, first of all, have your client, boy, this is good. You should, first of all, have your clientele tiered, right? You should know who your customer is. You should know who your clients are. You should know who your advocates are, right? You should know everything about all of your advocates. Everything, as much as you can. Sit down, take them to coffee, do whatever you need to do, get into their head. Find out everything you can. Why do we want to do that? So it's easier to duplicate them. How do you duplicate them? You find out where they go and you market there. You find out what magazines they read, you market there. You find out what radio stations, you market there. You find out what TV stations, you market there, right? We send out a monthly newsletter. We send out a monthly newsletter to our top 40% clients. What does that do? Always have top of mind awareness. We send out a weekly email to everybody in our list. In the email, we always include, we always include a, a link to our videos. Mm -hmm. Why do we do that? Right? Because they're funny. 
Are they funny? Yes, sir. I mean, I, why? Why else would people watch my stoop, my ugly mug on the on the TV, right? Because it's funny. We make it hilarious, right? We also send out postcards. We send out. I mean, we are constantly. I mean, I won't say bombarding, but we are constantly sending out things for top of mind awareness. So if the economy goes down. He gets on the phone. He starts calling people. Hey, there's some stuff that needed to be done on your car last time we saw it. Is now a good time to bring it in? So we call it dialing for dollars. The purpose of it really is to keep your car safe. I, I don't care about a state inspection, right? But if it's brakes, suspension, steering, something like that, we are on it like a tattoo, right? So that's our plan B. Yes, ma'am. Well, there's two things that I uh, have read about and that we have done in our industry to recession-proof our business. And number one is to look at and to know very specifically what's the main thing that people will buy. No matter what the economy is, what is it that people will buy? Um, and so sometimes it uh, is good to get into an industry just to start off in an industry where people are going to purchase. So, for example, alcohol, you know, medical care, um, auto repair, those are things that people will out. That's something that people need. Food, those are things that people need. Now, the margins in groceries are very, very low, so I don't recommend that grocery store. So, one is to be in an industry where people are going to purchase what you have. A second one is whatever industry you're in is know what people are going to buy anyway, what they're going to need. What do they currently buy and really hone the message on that thing? Really, when I say hone the message, I mean speak the language that's already going on in their heads. We think often as small business owners that we have a market dominating position. I was speaking to a personal trainer yesterday and she said, oh yeah, I have a market dominating position. So tell me about it. She said, well, I work on people's biomechanics. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> okay, that doesn't mean people at all. And so if you have a very, very clear message that what people are looking for, then you'll do just fine. So, but it's, it's honing in on that. And then the last one, so there's three actually. The last one is to market to the affluent. Find out who your most affluent customers are, find out where they live, what do they think, what do they need, and provide that for all the other affluent people around them. Mm -hmm. Because they don't care whether it's a recession. People that have the, they've created their own generational wealth, or they are part of generational wealth, or they have businesses that really thrive in a recession, those are the people to talk to. Talk to the, the, the families that own liquor stores. In COVID, oh my goodness, they were so busy. They just couldn't keep alcohol on their shelves. Right. And I'm not condoning alcohol. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying from a business standpoint, really look at what is it people purchase in times of when there is a recession, a depression, when people are hurting. Bravo. Very good.